from the new media project at the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, post-cataract refractive surprise. I think this really points out that we still don't have an ideal IOL power calculation formula. We have a limitation in the ability to know the effective lens position. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Jones declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. As seen from here, the first podcast for physicians, the first podcast to offer CME credit, and the first to offer multinational editions, is now co-sponsored by the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. The ASCRS recognizes the power of this new medium in communication and education of physicians everywhere. This partnership will allow us to bring new content to you and add new voices to our community. From Manhattan to Mumbai, from the Bay Area to Beijing, one conversation as seen from here. In program number 99, we discuss the merits of adjusting intraocular lens power calculation in the second eye if the patient had a post-cataract refractive surprise in the first eye. What we didn't talk about was what to do with the amotropic first eye. Jason Jones has just published results of a study looking at IOL exchange for patients who have suffered post-cataract refractive surprise. I'm happy to welcome Dr. Jones as my guest today. What are the most common reasons for intraocular lens exchange? Uh, probably some of the most common reasons for intraocular lens exchange uh, continue to be dislocation and dysphotopsia, um, as evidenced by Nick Mamos' uh, um, reporting um, through uh, ASCRIS. Um, but uh, certainly uh, a growing trend is for refractive error, uh, visual refractive error. And, uh, you know, so a continuing problem still, uh, still is dislocation, um, whether that be from trauma or pseudo-exfoliation or other reasons. Uh, but uh, a growing trend is going to be uh, for refractive error issues um, as well, where uh, patients uh, may desire uh, a more amotropic result. Uh, and certainly with the growing trend in a refractive cataract surgery procedure, um, I think this is going to be something which uh, certainly has potential to grow as far as a reason or indication for uh, exchange. What was the objective of your study? Uh, the objective of our, of our study was to analyze patients who had IOL exchange for refractive error. So there were no patients who were included, included in this study for dysphotopsias or for uh, dislocations uh, or other issues. It was purely for refractive error only. Um, so we retrospectively analyzed the patients uh, that we could locate in our chart system uh, that had an IOL exchange performed for refractive error reasons and uh, and collected that that data and analyzed it uh, in our paper. And part of the reasons we wanted to do that were twofold. Uh, One was to analyze the errors and why they occurred. Uh, That's always an important thing to analyze whenever you're looking at uh, a less than ideal outcome. You want to analyze uh, the elements that led to this outcome. 
and hopefully perhaps find a trend which could be uh, reduced or resolved um, by making modifications to patterns of behavior. <clears throat> or uh, the other, and the second uh, uh, issue that we wanted to address was could we derive uh, an empiric nomogram based upon an regression analysis of the refractive error change achieved by the exchange so that uh, one could obtain something of a guideline. If you have a refractive error of minus two and a half, what kind of IOL might you look to exchange that, that I for? Uh, what kind of power change would you want to put into the bag if you were going to remove the lens and, and replace it with a new one? How much of a refractive surprise did a patient need to have to meet inclusion criteria for this study? Um, they basically they had to have gone through an exchange for refractive error. So uh, if they had an exchange for some other reason, um, they were excluded. Basically, these are all the patients that we could identify within our practices that had an exchange for refractive error issues. There was no... Uh, there was no minimum set for the amount of error, refractive error that was exchanged for, uh, nor a maximum. So these were all the patients that we could identify within our, our database. How large was the study population? We were able to identify 22 patients that had undergone um, an exchange for refractive error uh, over during this time frame. So uh, out of uh, you know, potentially many thousands of patients, we had 22 cases. What intraocular lens calculation formula had been used for the cataract surgery that the patients had? Uh, in this case, all patients were calculated using the Holiday One formula. And what formula was used for the intraocular lens exchange? Uh, the Holiday One formula was, again, used. Can I have you describe the technique employed for the cataract surgery? All patients went, underwent uh, routine phacomulsification uh, via a temporal corneal incision. Um, and uh, in the bag, uh, interactive lens uh, placements um, following fake homosification. Notably, all patients had uh, continuous curvilinear capsulorexis performed, um, which had a, a, a residual overlap on the optic of the original implanted lens. Uh, and, and there were no uh, intraoperative complications during any of these original uh, cataract extraction procedures. And what technique was employed for the intraocular lens exchange? The procedures that I was familiar with that, that I performed myself, and, and I believe Dr. Crandall employed a similar uh, technique, um, but uh, the procedure basically was a viscodissection um, into the capsular bag to free the intraocular lens and ensure that it would rotate uh, reasonably well without damage to the zonular apparatus. Um, and then, generally speaking, a bisection of the intraocular lens using uh, usually Van Ness scissors or intraocular for, um, scissors, uh, followed by extraction of the two halves, um, then a, a reimplantation of uh, the uh, calculated lens that was uh, used for the exchange. And were there complications observed in the intraocular lens exchange? Uh, no, there, there were no complications that were. Uh, that occurred during the exchange procedure uh, or following. How long was the period between the cataract surgery and the subsequent lens exchange? What was the range? The range of uh, um, post-operative periods between the original cataract extraction and the exchange surgery uh, varied between 
um, one day up to 14 months postoperatively. So some patients, uh, the error was uh, realized very soon after the original surgery uh, and an exchange was, was performed relatively quickly. Others, uh, they, uh, the patients elected to wait uh, until uh, they decided that it was worthwhile for them to undergo the exchange. Was there anything special physiologically with these patients? Did they have exceptionally long or short eyes or very steep or very flat Ks? In, in respect to uh, anatomic parameters on these patients, um, many of them uh, were outside what we might consider normal parameters of being uh, relatively my, myopic or hyperopic, um, and uh, several of them had uh, keratometry um, which uh, would fall outside normal parameters. Um, there were also several patients, uh, several eyes that had uh, previous uh, surgical interventions such as radial keratotomy or uh, penetrating keratoplasty as well, scleral buckling for retinal surgery. Retinal surgery. Uh, so there were, um, some of these patients did out, fall outside the norm of what might be considered uh, an average eye. Can I have you describe the results of your study? The results of our study uh, indicated that, uh, number one, uh, an IOL exchange uh, for in-the-bag IOL placement of, this, of the exchange IOL could be performed uh, safely um, with uh, a relatively good prediction of refractive uh, outcome. Um, and uh, that there were several uh, systematic errors uh, that could occur uh, in implanting an IOL and uh, that... Uh, and these are errors which have been noted on previous uh, um, discussions of uh, errors that can occur, uh, but is, it is worthwhile to note that they can still happen regardless of diligence. Um, so those were the, and we also were able to create a, uh, an empiric nomogram based on regression analysis uh, to estimate a, a lens power for exchange. What were the most common errors that you found in, in your study? Um, errors in keratometry and axial length measurement uh, comprised the largest groups of um, systematic errors. Uh, also, uh, implanting the wrong IOL um, in the patient. Uh, in other words, not matching the patient to the correct IOL on the day of surgery um, also did occur uh, during, this, uh, during this case series. One patient had keratometry measurement taken shortly after stopping rigid gas permeable contact lens wear. Can I get you to talk about that case? Uh, sure. Um, RGP wear uh, certainly can cause significant uh, corneal change um, when uh, keratometry is performed. And uh, I think uh, many people are well aware that uh, patients do need to be out of uh, their uh, hard contact lenses or RGP lenses for a period of time to allow the cornea to normalize to its uh, native shape. Um, this, unfortunately, uh, in some patients uh, was overlooked and uh, or not noted at the time of the original discussion with the patient and uh, the keratometry obtained on the day of the um, first measurements uh, was used for calculation. Uh, after their cornea went through a period of um, relaxation to its more native state, after following cataract surgery, the refractive error was fairly evident, and uh, an exchange you know, was able to be performed following that um, identification. 
Now, that patient had been out of rigid gas permeable contacts for two days. How long should rigid gas permeable contact lens wares stay out of contacts prior to keratometry? Uh, I, th- I think this is still uh, something of a, of a personal judgment. Um, I know in my own practice, uh, my rule of thumb uh, is to have the patient out of, out of RGP wear for four weeks plus one week per decade of use. And that may seem extreme. Uh, that is what I tell the patient, but I do bring them back for that end of that time period so that I can get a series of measurements uh, and I can look at their keratometry as well as their topography to judge uh, if they are going to still uh, continue to evolve and change. And if they are, I, I, I generally uh, engage the patient at this point um, when we start to discuss their RGP wear history that they need a, a period of time to allow their cornea to be more normalized to their native state and uh, that would allow a more accurate result for them. So uh, I think some, many, many, uh, many people still go with uh, at least uh, several weeks of time frame, um, but, uh, and I still think this is an individual thing. Um, depending upon the patient, most people will still uh, look at the corneal uh, mapping or topography as well as the keratometry that you obtain uh, over time to judge whether or not they're going to be continuing to evolve or change and uh, make a judgment based upon that. I still think it's an individual patient-by-patient decision. There were several patients in the study in whom no measurement error was found. What do you make of that? I think this really points out that we still don't have an ideal IOL power calculation formula. Um, We don't have the ability to, we have a limitation the ability to know the effective lens position. Um, if we were able to determine that preoperatively, then we would have a more accurate result. So I think that this, this shows an inherent limitation in IOL power calculation formulas, as well as perhaps biometry itself um, in the respect of uh, what parameters were measured. For the patients for whom calculation was performed properly, but had the wrong lens put in during surgery. Was there any sort of pattern to these cases? No, there, there was no pattern that we could identify that happened at different time frames uh, with uh, different staff members. Um, interestingly, these patients who had a wrong IOL inserted did occur before what most people have instituted since, which is a national timeout policy in the operating room prior to any surgical procedure. Um, and I think most people... In, uh, if the, even if in a, in a private ambulatory surgery center uh, or to a hospital setting, um, have to do, perform a timeout procedure at this time. And uh, so these errors may be less over time uh, and hopefully will be as we, as we implement more of these safeguards. In addition to lens exchange surgery, can I get you to talk about other methods of correcting post-cataract refractive errors? I think if you, if you have a patient who comes out uh, outside of what you're, you've planned for their refractive error, um, even if you've planned uh, nearsightedness uh, as, a, as a goal, whatever you've planned, if you, if you get a result that is not what you desired, um, a, a frank discussion with the patient about what's occurred is, uh, is paramount. And uh, engaging them in what the options are available is very valuable. 
it allows them to sort of guide you as to what you uh, may want to do with them. Uh, patients could wear co uh, glasses or contact lenses, and I think those are still valuable tools to remind the patient that they don't have to undergo another surgical procedure if they don't want to. Um, and certainly it, it poses the least risk of any intervention uh, postoperatively. Um, other options could, inc could include a keratorefractive procedure. Uh, one could perform uh, RK, although I think most people are, have largely abandoned radio keratotomy for myopia. Um, but one could perform RK in low amounts of myopia, and uh, I think some people still do and get good results. Uh, certainly, laser refractive surgery, uh, whether it be PRK, LASIK, or, or LASIK, uh, are other options as well, and they uh, add a great degree of precision to our ability to fine-tune these sorts of patients. Um, intraocularly, uh, one may consider uh, a piggyback intraocular lens in the sulcus or an IOL exchange um, as an option. You talk in the paper about piggyback intraocular lens calculation. Can I get you to talk about that a little bit now? Sure. Um, piggyback IOL calculations, uh, there are um, several different uh, people who have discussed these. Uh, Dr. Hoffer has proposed a, a simple nomogram. Um, if you have a hyperopic postoperative error and you want, to, um, you want to piggyback this patient, you would multiply the hyperopic refractor error, error by 1.5 and place that um, in, the, uh, in the sulcus and a myopic refractive error by 1.3. Um, additionally, uh, there are other sources of uh, calculating a piggyback sulcus lens, uh, such as uh, the Holiday R formula, and the um, and Warren Hill on his website also has a simple spreadsheet for on Excel uh, that would allow one to calculate uh, a, a piggyback sulcus lens. Um, so those are the ways that that I'm aware of for calculating a, a piggyback lens, um, and the, all all three of those ways generally tend to tend to uh, give you a very similar um, outcome uh, with perhaps uh, some increased accuracy with the Holiday R formula. Jason, can I have you discuss the lens calculation formula that you derived for the exchange lens uh, when you obtain a postoperative refractive surprise from cataract surgery? Sure. Um, basically, we uh, knowing that uh, patients um, based upon refractive error may behave differently, we grouped our patients into hyperopic and uh, myopic refractive error outcomes from their original surgery uh, and then performed a, a regression analysis. And uh, that allowed us to uh, create a nomogram based upon whether the patient is a, a hyperopic or myopic refractive error following their original surgery. Um, and there is also a, a formula in the paper which uh, allows you to, if you wanted to calculate, you could do that. Have you changed anything in your own practice to address postoperative refractive surprise? In, in my in, in my own practice, as well as Dr. Crandall's practice, uh, we both are using uh, the IOL Master for improved biometry of axial length, and um, keratometry is uh, another error, another uh, source of error for these sorts of uh, issues. And uh, I'm more apt to get topography, especially on patients who fall outside the norm of keratometric readings, 
Um, also, uh, I, I, we both go by guidelines uh, as far as uh, checking or double-checking uh, axial length and keratometry measurements. Um, and I'm not familiar with do- what Dr. Crandall's practice is currently using, but uh, we go by the, the, the guidelines that Warren Hill has um, published on his website uh, as to verifying uh, axial length and keratometry measurements if they come up outside the normal range. Uh, additionally, um, ensuring that the patient has the proper IOL. Uh, in my own practice, uh, when we do a timeout, it's not only the patient's name and what procedure is being done and which eye we're doing it on, um, but we also uh, discuss or, or, or uh, announce what IOL, what power, as well as what model we're going to be implanting in the eye. Um, so those sorts of patterns of behavior hopefully will help to reduce some of these, these errors that have occurred as we've seen in this paper. Is there anything you'd like to add, Jason? I, th- I think one thing to keep in mind with the results of this paper, it's still on a relatively small number of patients uh, and that the results need to be verified on a larger series, hopefully with uh, larger, uh, a more uh, normative database of, of uh, axial length and keratometry measurements uh, which may give a greater ability to use uh, a nomogram such as we've we've uh, put forth for predicting an in the bag IOL exchange. So I, I think that's that's one of the more interesting areas uh, that would allow us to have another method besides repeating measurements and repeating ex, um, repeating calculations based upon different formulas that uh, would allow us to uh, verify. If we are going to exchange a lens, do we have the correct lens that we really want to exchange for? Because certainly, once you've gone through the once with the patient, you don't want to go through it a second time. And one other thing that I would say that I've changed uh, in my practice um, is that I'm more apt to use different IOL formulas uh, for the different axial lengths. Um, and one of the nice things about the newer IOL master is that it does allow you to have what's called a multi-view formula. So you pick the IOL that you model that you want to use, and it will allow you to look at four different formula um, at one time for each eye. And so it, allows, it gives you a side-by-side comparison of each one of those formulas. Um, so uh, one of the things also that you know we, all, we both have done is we have personalized our certain factors or A constants for our IOLs based upon our experience. Uh, I don't think that personalization is going to eliminate some of the refractive errors we see in this series of patients because it usually doesn't allow you to have that large of an impact. Um, But it certainly improves your accuracy as we are all striving for that uh, ideal refractive result after cataract surgery. um, We need to be going in that direction as far as uh, personalizing our own uh, IOL power capsules. Jason, thank you very much. You bet. Hey, thanks, Josh. Jason Jones comes to us from the Jones Eye Clinic in Sioux City, Iowa. His paper, Intraocular Lens Exchange Due to Incorrect Lens Power, is in press in ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Jones or any of our previous guests 
or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the new media project of the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.